everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from South Florida, and I'm so excited again to be here. I have a very special guest, a friend of mine who I actually have met in person several times, and I've spent some time with her in California, and she's just a phenomenal lady coming to us from Florida, though Tallahassee, right? Tallahassee coming to us from Tallahassee. So it's the Florida Girls Show today, and Catherine and I have important messages because we're in a very tenuous financial time with the way world is going, and some of us have had some oops in our lives that have some had some financial missteps, as my friend Deborah Morrison likes to call them. Uh, and Catherine is the champion of rising like a phoenix out of the ashes of financial distress. Welcome, my friend. It's quite an intro. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here, Deb. Well, it's my pleasure. And the last time you and I were together was actually on a webinar that you did with Dr. Tim McGinnis and I for SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. And it was all about bankruptcy and recovering from a financial Oh my gosh, uh, you know, the things we're going to talk about today, but that was specific to recovering from uh, financial fraud, which was a very interesting webinar for me to attend. And I thank you for that. I think I learned more than I taught. That was so interesting. Well, in the world today where fraud is, is just rampant. And financial fraud in particular with pig butchering, which I think we talked about, pig butchering is the financial fraud that's happening now with relationship fraud or relationship scams where it includes cryptocurrency and investments. And that's happening to millennials, it's happening to the boomers, it's happening to everybody. And it's so difficult because there's no way to get, well, I can't say there's no way to get that money back, but it's very, very difficult to get any of that money back. But it's a shorter thing. It happens much faster. And, and we, since we've spoken, um, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to a potential client who, um, who invested her cryptocurrency with a broker that promised to get returns for her. They were lending out their money let, she was depositing her money in their their company, and then they were lending it out, and and two companies went bankrupt, and she's got seven hundred thousand dollars of crypto money 
tied up in those companies. Well, I'm not going to say yay or nay on crypto. I'm, I've got a nephew who's in his late 20s and he is all over me. And Deb, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I'm thinking, I talked to my friend, Deborah Morrison, financial planner. And she said, well, if you got money set aside for your great grandchildren, maybe, but not for my future. So I'm still juries out with me. Yeah. In our show today, we're not going to specifically talk about that, but I like to start with going back to tell the audience who you are. Where did you grow up? And a little bit about your family situation. Um, I grew up in uh, Park Ridge, Illinois, uh, just outside Chicago. I went to church next to Hillary Clinton's church and uh, um, never knew Hillary, but she was the first president of my, my high school's, she was the first student body president of my high school. Okay. Um, my brother was in her class. And um, and probably my first brush with um, financial insecurity or being aware of financial insecurity was when my father died when I was 14. And my stay-at-home mom basically went from being a stay-at-home mom to working two jobs, 14 hours a week, seven days, or 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was keenly aware of financial insecurity. And it, it became part of a mindset. And it seemed like I never had money set aside. Um, but, but the family stories were all about my Aunt Bert, Albertine Hathaway. Um, she was my father's favorite aunt. And she died about six months before I was born. But she was great Aunt Bert the lawyer. And she had all sorts of quotable quotes that everybody everybody said and stories about her. She became a member of the Illinois Bar in 1903. Oh, wow. Um, but she couldn't even vote on the laws and got kind of laughed out of the courtroom. Uh, so being a trial lawyer was not really going to work out too well for her. But in uh, she became very involved in the suff women's suffrage movement. And in fact, so did her mother. And one of my cousins, distant cousins, found a picture of our mutual great-grandmother, um, Emma Clark Hathaway, at the 1910 Women's Suffrage Breakfast. <laughs> Standing there proud as punch. And, um, and, and so Aunt Bert traveled all over the Midwest giving talks about women's suffrage and, and lobbying people to lobbying men to vote. And that was very dangerous business. You know, women ended up in jail. Men came and threw things at them. Um, so I never miss an opportunity to vote in honor of Aunt Bert, who gave so much so that we could all vote. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, you think of, we go back to like Rosie the Riveter and my grandmother was working, I always say she was the Rosie Riveter of the family. Uh, because and it's it's really interesting to look back at at the women in our lives to see what kind of roles they had. Because typically you hear the stay-at-home moms or they're on a farm somewhere and they're working in a farm. But when I heard about Aunt Bert and she was one of the reasons you get a puppy. Oh, I got a kitty. Oh, kitty, kitty. He was out in the rain. Um and I couldn't get him to, couldn't find him to get him to come in. So now he's come in and he's visiting, visiting yeah. with us. Uh, yes. 
That's my boyfriend. That's his name. My boyfriend. My boyfriend. He's a safe boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but anyway, it just, it makes me feel good to think about our grandmas and great grandmas and aunts and whatever that have done some really cool things. And she was, she was a pioneer in her day, literally, and uh, in the courtroom. So how cool was that? But your mom, well, after your, your dad passed, I'm sorry about that. Um, when that, when my husband passed away, my youngest was 15 and that's a really tough age to lose your dad. And I think as a girl from, you must've been pretty close to your dad. I was very close. And, and now mom was, was gone because she was working. So I heard you talk one time about feeling that you'd been abandoned by both parents at this point. How did you really feel? How did that make you feel? Um, well, I was the stoic one. I was, uh, in, in one way, I was um, abandoned and sad. And, and I probably, uh, that may have been some of the source of my interesting acting out. I'm still making it up, uh, my 15-year-old year up to my mother. She lives with me now. She's 96. Um, but in another way, you know, I stepped up, I took responsibility, I didn't cry, I took care of my little sister, you know, we had, mother had taught us both how to cook, so it seemed like we were home alone a lot that year, and, um, and my mother's a hero, she really is, she, she never weeped and moaned, she got out there and did what she had to do to make sure that there was food on the table, and, uh, and she had been a stay-at-home mom all those years, but she brushed up her skills and worked her way up in the work world. But there was always, in my mind, there was never enough money. And that's a mindset. If you, if you hang on to it, it expresses in your life, even if you make a lot of money. Um, you know, there are women who, I forget what the statistic is, but women who make a couple hundred thousand a year are still living in fear of being a, becoming a bag lady. Right. And, and I was definitely one of those women as, you know, I went to law school, I established my own firm, but I was still very money. Um, it, there was never anything left over at the end of the pay period. You know, I, I wasn't saving. Um, and I, I got into a bit of a snarl actually. Well, um, we'll, get, we'll get into that. Cause I want to okay. go back. To, I'm thinking about your mother. Cause your mom is a couple of years older than my father and my mom and dad and I've had their 87 and 92 and they're nearby. Uh, we've had a lot of discussions about how their growing up had modeled my life. And I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of my mother's refrigerator. And I, I wrote an article about the refrigerator. You can tell a generation by the refrigerator. Mine is <clears throat> fairly empty and clean. You know, I use what I need, no leftovers. My daughter's is a mixture of mine and my mother's and my mother's is packed full of little itty bitty. She's going to die when she hears this because I'm telling everybody, but every little scrap is saved from the night before and put into a little baggie or I, I even bought little Tupperwares and she likes the little baggies better. Did your, was your mother in that mindset? Did she, cause I think it comes from, they went through the depression they didn't have a lot and they saved everything and stretched everything. My mother didn't experience the depression the way other people did. Um, she didn't know there was a depression going on. 
Um, her stepfather was, um, what do they call them? He had stills and he made alcohol during, during. He was a bootlegger. He was a bootlegger. That's what he was. <laughs> he was a bootlegger. They had the only paved driveway in the neighborhood. Mm. And, um, and they always had enough money. They, you know, she never knew there was a depression going on. Um, my family, my cousins and everything still live in this area that our families came to in the seven, early 1700s. And my cousin uh, became a minister and she ministered to a church, you know, a shotgun's throw from where my grandfather's house was. And uh, she went out to visit all the shut-ins uh, when she first took over this church and one woman uh, brought her into the house gracious, graciously and said, honey, we knew when we heard you were going to be our minister that we were going to love you. We always bought our liquor from your granddaddy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so my, that wasn't that wasn't mom's experience. Okay. Um, she wasn't she didn't experience that. And and um she seems to be perfectly, she does save everything, come to think of it. And I throw it away. So my refrigerator looks like yours. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's, that's part of our routine now as we go over once a week and clean it out. She can't see it, but bless her heart. I love her. And she, she's a great cook. So your mom was working all this time. You, um, you didn't talk about savings. You were living, she was living, putting food on the table. Yeah. Did anybody, did anybody talk about finances? Cause I know in our house, it was, you don't talk about money because you come across being, you don't want to be a, you know, braggadocious or whatever. It's no one's business. Any the talk? only thing we, we talked about was that it, it wasn't being spent, you know, that there was, um, we always had the clothes we needed and stuff. And, um, after I graduated from college, uh, I went up, joined a theater company and traveled around the country. And then I went up to Chicago to live and be independent. And after I left home, my parents had, uh, my mother and stepfather had to sell the house. Um, and I don't think they filed a bankruptcy, but they were, they moved from a very nice house in Boca Raton to a two bedroom apartment on the beach that was not so nice. Wow. So they've had their ups and downs. You went to college and got a degree in music. Yes. <laughs> that well, that pays well, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it put groceries on the table, but it never quite made it to rent. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been fun. I've actually seen you dancing with the divas recently. Oh, <laughs> um, I didn't learn to dance until about five years ago. Oh, OK. Uh, when I was when I was doing musical comedy and they had to choreograph for me that the choreographer was heard to lament, oh, God, can she walk and sing? <laughs> so. Well, that, that's funny. But so the point here is that you've seen lack in your life mm -hmm. and you've seen excess or abundance or enough. You've seen enough. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. So how did you get into the legal business and especially into your specialty of bankruptcy? Um, I was very lucky. All right, Kat. Hi, buddy. <laughs> he's, he's very unselfconscious. There you go. Um, um, 
I, after my theater career, when my parents' mother had to sell all of her green stamps books to buy me a plane ticket to come home from Chicago, um, seven months pregnant with no visible means of support. And I moved into that two bedroom apartment on the beach with them and my little sister and my brother had, my stepbrother had had a financial collapse and we were all living there in, in this little bedroom, little apartment on the beach, well, on the beach. Hey, know, beach, so beach, living, beach living has a new, uh, new meaning. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, one, I, I went to a party, my voice teacher, um, and ran into a family friend and he said, you need a career and you need to become a legal secretary, come work for me. So eventually I did go to work for him and I loved it. And he said, you need to marry a lawyer. And I said, marry one, I'd sooner be one. He goes, that's it, we'll make you a lawyer. And he began his campaign to convince me to go to law school. And all of the time I have my little guardian angel, Aunt Bert going, go to law school. You can at least practice law now. So um, that, that was how I got into that. And I graduated from FSU law in 1986. And I have never been sorry. Um, money has not always been abundant, but I love what I do every day, still 35 years, 36 years later. Well, and at that point, knowledge became power for you. Oh, yes. In a way. Well, yeah. And so it's important that each one of us learns something new every day. And it could be about finances, especially now. It's interesting. Uh, we were talking with Deborah Morrison earlier, and Deborah does women navigating finances. And I'm part of that group because even though I've had banking experience and legal experience and all that, I still, at my age, want to know what's the best thing for me to do financially. Because when I was growing up, and, and part of me here's what I call um, in promoting your show the B word bankruptcy. It's got such a um, negative feeling in me. I don't know where that came from. Uh, it, it came from society. My God. Okay. In, uh, especially in, in your parents' generation. Take bankruptcy. Oh, my God. It was the worst thing in the world. Why do you think that was so? Because it shows that you 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 couldn't make it. People take it as a failure. They take yeah. it as a personal failure. Okay. As you don't pay your bills, you're a bad person. Oh, the collections letters my clients get. You broke your promise. It reduces you to a three-year-old. The way people talk to you about paying debt. Sometimes life happens. Bankruptcies in the Bible, um, Deuteronomy chapter fifteen. Uh, there shall be forgiveness of debt. And the law of forgiveness of debt is a law of prosperity to the nation who forgives. Well, Which, there you have it. Yeah, it's, it's, and our constitution, article one, there shall be bankruptcy courts. Um, it is, it is a necessary safety valve in a healthy economy, because what happens when people are driven down by debt is they don't participate in the, com- the economy. They don't buy your goods. They stop putting money in the bank. They keep it in the mattress because that's the only place it's safe. So actually not allowing bankruptcy or making people think that they 
They can't invest in their futures. They have to pay for their pasts. Um, uh, turns people into paupers when they're old, so they can't participate in the economy um, because they couldn't save for retirement because they were paying for their past. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they were sick and they couldn't work. Maybe like my mom, a spouse died that was the principal breadwinner and she didn't have the skills that he had to make a lot of money. Um, there are all kinds of reasons for bankruptcy and it is a good safety valve so that people can start afresh to rise from the ashes. Um, I think it's, really, it's important to talk about it because I, I know after Lou died and I was running his company, I was doing pretty well. I made some goofs, especially after the financial fraud. Uh, and Marty Ward, a friend of ours, Marty sat me down and she goes, you need to just consider declaring bankruptcy. And when I heard that, she said some marvelous things to me. That's not one of the things that I wanted to hear. I was like, not in your life. You know, I wouldn't consider that because just like you said, I grew up thinking that that was a, a show of a failure, that I couldn't take care of my financial business. And that would be just saying, I'm done. Now, the one thing I didn't learn at all that was the credit card that was in my husband's name only that I kept paying on for uh, two years when I finally woke up and realized I wasn't responsible for that card. Morally, I felt it, but legally I wasn't. I called him up and I said, you know what? I, I can't do this. This isn't my note. Well, why were you doing it in the first place? I <laughs> wish I had talked to you back then because there are things that we don't know. We think we do, but we don't know what we're responsible for, especially after the death of a spouse or divorce yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, your debt dies with you. Which is something we need to think about if we've got debt now. There was a credit card that somehow my son got added onto. I don't think I did it. Uh, never know how it happens, but his name was on it. He was buying a home and he did a credit report and it showed up on his credit report. He goes, mom, why am I on this card? I'm thinking, I have no idea. So I ended up getting him off. But again, if something were to happen to me, except for my joint card with my husband, um, everything company-wise is in my name and not any of the kids. So if you died with debt on those cards, you're in, bank, in probate, your assets would be sold, non-exempt assets would be sold to pay your debt. And then the rest would be inherited by your family. Um, and in my probate, or estate planning work, that's something we talk about. Where is your debt? Um, where are your assets? How can we pass your assets so that they don't get consumed by your debt? Well, and, probably, and there are legal ways to do that. Yeah, probably why I have an insurance policy for the company to pay off that credit, that line of credit. Very good. Very Otherwise, good. I have no, I have no debt anymore um, except for my small company because I'm so conscious of it now. I mean, I'm the kind that pays off the credit card every week. Good. I don't, especially in today's economy and mm -hmm. rates going up and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm at the point where I need to get another car. And part of one of the options was to buy the one that I have. <coughs> the three-year lease, it only has 17,000 miles on it, but I'm watching the interest rates going up. And I'm thinking, maybe I don't want to buy that car. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. 
But many people that, that we're working with can't even think about buying a car. They've had a tremendous loss and are struggling to pay the rent, put food on the table, maybe buy medicine, keep gas in the car. At mm-hmm. what point do they come to somebody like you and say, Catherine, help me. What is my, what is a step? What do I do? Cause I wouldn't know, you know, they might have that thinking about B is a bad word. B is a, not a bad word for you. I see a lot of people come to me who should have been there years before that they liquidated their protected retirements to pay their debt. So when they come to me, they have nothing. And that's not when you want to come to a bankruptcy lawyer. When you want to come is when you realize you can't pay from your current income, you can't pay your debt. And then you need to have somebody look at the situation and say, um, well, these are your assets that would be um, available to creditors if they started to sue you. Liquidate those assets, you know, um, get a loan on your car or finance your car, maybe, or, or, or sell your car and use that money to pay your creditors. You, you can't carry a, a paid for car through a bankruptcy. So there are things you can do, but don't ever take give away what no one can take away. And what they cannot take away is your retirement, your 401k, your IRA, and the in Florida, the equity in your home. So we don't want to give those things away. The state of Florida has laws to help you protect your assets so that you're not on the dole later. You know, they want you to be able to take care of yourself and your family. And that's why in Florida, um, your home is exempt from claims of creditors under the Florida Constitution. No matter how big or little the house is, the home is protected. Million dollar home, protected. Okay, so this is the state of Florida. You are a Florida uh, licensed attorney. Right. If if we have people- Every state, people would want to look at what is protected from claims of creditors. And you don't do this on your own. Don't do a Google search. It's worth an initial consultation with a bankruptcy lawyer to find out if they charge you $250 for an initial consult, that's very little money compared to what you have to lose. Okay. Find out what's the best way to approach your debt and do it early. Don't act in desperation thinking you have to pay your debt because there may be another way to handle it without losing your future. Now, it just came to mind two taxes come into this. Are, are you, do you, are you a tax attorney? Do you have attorneys that you work with in that? Um, uh, bankruptcy has a lot of good solutions for taxes and I do those. Okay. Um, and um when people haven't done their taxes, I refer them out to an accountant or a tax attorney to handle that. Don't call those companies in California, please. They, um, they are not as, uh, I've had so many clients come to me, well, I've got the, the tax experts in California handling this for me. And it's like, oh yeah, they let you, they didn't tell you about bankruptcy until after there was a lien on your property. Yeah, they're real good. Come on. Um, once there's a, 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 an IRS lien on your property, you have to pay the taxes, even if they could have been discharged in bankruptcy. Um, I, can, I can make, 
you have to at least pay the value of your non-exempt property. And that includes your IRA and the equity in your home. So basically, once they've got a lien, they've got you um, under their thumbs in a new and, and uncomfortable way. So when you have that kind of problem, get advice from a, a bankruptcy lawyer too, um, because this company told them there is no lien. They came to me and I said, sorry, the lien was put on last month. I have, you know, when I work closely with the tax experts, I have beaten the lien by a day getting the bankruptcy filed. And once the bankruptcy is filed, the lien doesn't attach. So but it's an emergency. This is the important part because most of the women that I'm working with, they're a little bit older, you know, 50 and up, let's put it that way. Still young at heart, but we may uh, not have a spouse through divorce or, or, or death and may or may not be working, um, may or may not have been involved with the bills. And this is for men too, because I went in the bank, I worked with a lot of men who lost their wives and they were lost. Um, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you're just so emotional about what's happened anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have thought until Marty said something to me about filing bankruptcy, I would have got not in your life. I would have eaten popcorn every night rather than put a meal on the table just to save my coins so that I could pay off, you know, whatever bills I had. Um, it, it, we have to get past the emotional stop. And the pride. And, the pride. and what yeah. would the viewers say? And what would my parents say? I can't tell you how many, oh, if my father knew he'd disinherit me. Well, I bet if you gave your father a chance to understand an update, this is a different economy than what he grew up in. Yeah. You know? It might help you. Yeah. Maybe not, but at least. Maybe he shouldn't. I don't, I've done many bankruptcies for the parents who help too much and, and can't pay their own bills. Yeah, there's a fine line between between help and enabling. I know, been there. Uh, but you have a great platform. When you and I were together in California, tell everybody, why did you go to Awakening Giants, which was not called Awakening Giants at the time, but it is now. It's Awakening Giants. Yeah. You and I saw each other and spent a week together in San Diego. What was your reasoning behind doing that? What did you want to do? back in 2000, whenever, 17. Um, I, I was, well, first of all, I was really excited about the opportunity to stretch myself, to do, um, to do physical things that, you know, we did, she caught the trapeze when she jumped <laughs> off the phone pole. I climbed up the, th the phone pole, 40 feet, about, yeah, yeah. it was big, and jumped for the trapeze, but I didn't catch it. But you it jumped. Tragic fly. You um, that's your Tinkerbell moment. It was my Tinkerbell moment. I loved it. But I, I was interested in the physical challenges because I was 62 and I had done things like this when I was 15, but I needed to know that I was still strong and vibrant and capable of undertaking impossible feats. And, um, and so I wanted to do that. And I really wanted to get to know what other women were doing that made them women of power. 
because I had come to see myself as a woman of power by that point in my life um, and, and see how they serve the world and maybe up my platform so that I could serve the world better. Um, so it was a wonderful adventure and I met the most marvelous people. That wasn't the first time I met Debbie, but it was, um, I met many other wonderful people and made some lifelong lasting friends of women of real substance. Really. Well, it, made it, it made it an international adventure for me with yes. Kazia and Debbie and Sammy and all the girls in England and then the, the women in, in the United States and all of, and it's the friendships that we developed from that. Uh, but it was through the challenge course, through the working with the wolves, uh, the fire, sleeping out with the wolves that one night was, besides being cold, it was. <laughs> uh, but doing that, but the other part of it was speaking, speaking on a stage. And you gave a, a brilliant um, expose. I wouldn't want to call Thank that. You. I guess it's a brilliant talk it's about disclosure. <laughs> rising rise because your platform became rise like a phoenix can you explain that and and this is really important for for anybody that's had some financial trouble you can rise from the ashes and so Catherine, tell us about what rise is well um can i tell this do we have time for me to tell the yeah. story of how i got there absolutely so, you know the economy turned in 2008 2009 people stopped paying their uh, their mortgages and started paying their credit cards. Bankruptcy went way down, which was my primary source of business back then. I had been a very busy, very successful board certified bankruptcy lawyer for a long time. And it, and that was what I did. I didn't make money at other areas of practice. And, um, I struggled to hang on for several years, but I got deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. And they started cutting lines of credit. I had credit cards that I hadn't used that had you know, lines of credit on them. They started cutting what I could borrow. And um, I got in debt with personal taxes and payroll taxes and, um, and couldn't pay two mortgages. And I finally had to file a bankruptcy in my own court. Mm. Oh my God, it was the most embarrassing thing. Um, and it, if knowing what I know now, really because of be joining Women's Prosperity Network of which Debbie and I are both members, um, I learned a great deal about business and prosperity from that group of women. Um, but in 2013, I, I knew not, I could not turn anywhere else. There were lawsuits against me and I had thought I had done everything I could do and I filed a bankruptcy and I thought I would die. So now I can really empathize with my clients. And um, I started studying with Nancy Matthews, the um, leader, one of the leaders, the co-founders of Women's Prosperity Network, studying um, Napoleon Hill's Science the, um, think and science grow rich. Think and grow rich, yeah. And science of getting rich. I was studying them both at the same time and studying them hard. And one day I found something in Think and Grow Rich that's where he was having financial challenge. And he said, pick a number that you need to make and just hold that number. 
And so I looked through my QuickBooks program and realized that I had once collected $40,000 in a month. Hadn't done it recently, but it had been done. So I picked that number and I called up my girls. This is March 1st. So far, we may have collected 40,000 for January and February. And I had a staff to pay. I had another lawyer to pay as well as myself and um, called the girls. And I says, we're going to collect $40,000 this month. That was the morning of March 2nd, I think. They called me back that afternoon and said, okay, we got 20 of it in the mail. <laughs> so we've got half the month done. And I said, no, that goes back to January and February. We have to collect 40,000 a month this year. And we never, ever missed it. Just by deciding, just by stepping up and saying, this is the number. And, um, we paid off all the taxes, my taxes, the, um, the firm became debt-free again. I caught up, I was three months behind on the mortgages on my building and my house. That all got caught up and um, we ended, uh, everybody got raises just from making that single commitment. But I had to take responsibility for the decisions that I had made and that we create our own experience. And what I had thought was that all my prosperity came from doing bankruptcy and that service. So what I came up with was the, is it an anagram? Uh, no. Oh, for rise? Yeah, for rise. I came up with rise. So I would remember what I had done. I took responsibility that I had accepted a limited universe, that I had accepted and been accepting since I was a child, the fact that there was never enough money and that my flow of prosperity could be cut off. And I took responsibility for that belief and for the fact that I'd made some decisions that weren't working out so well for me, you know? Um, and the I stands for to Imagine your future, imagine, feel what it would feel like to have the bills paid on time. And that relaxed, happy feeling of knowing that everything was in divine order. And, um, and I did do that exercise and I saw the 40,000 and coming into the bank every month. Oh, and by the way, in that March, we collected 60,000, which made up for January and February. So um, it was it was a dramatic, immediate change from making that decision. Thank you, Napoleon Hill. Well, you opened yourself up to receiving. And I a did. lot of people are going to say, well, this is woo-woo. But abundance is out there. And, and I have to learn to really believe this myself, that it is there. It's going to come. You get those little uh, nudges saying, try this, try that. And that's when you have to yeah. take responsibility for working those nudges. Okay, so we're on. The S in RISE stands for serve better than anyone. And my reputation in the community was that I gave service, that I went absolutely to the mat for my clients, but I had skills I wasn't using. Um, uh, I had always done estate planning and probate and I did it like a throwaway. I didn't consider it a valuable service. I didn't charge much for it. And I considered it a loss leader to get people to know me. And, and I realized that other people were charging a lot of money for what I could do better than they could because I had always done it. I did it as a paralegal. Um, 
So, and, and I got good grades in those classes and I was good at it. So I began to think of, and I don't think I even changed my website. I began to think of myself as an estate planning lawyer and probate lawyer and charge my value. Um, I'm, I don't know whether I charge more or less than other lawyers now, but I know I'm getting uh, recompensed at my hourly rate for the work I put into it. And the uh, and I started attracting from all over the country, people referring cases to me and bringing me work. Um, and I had a good website and I made sure that I had articles about estate planning and probate um, on my website and business just started to come to me. Um, and I was really grateful for it. And that's the E in rise, express gratitude about every little thing. I'm grateful for this cup of coffee this morning. I am grateful, grateful for my wonderful staff. I have the best staff that I've had in 35 years. It is, abs I, these women are amazing. I attracted them by right of consciousness. Oh my God, you know, they're, they're wonderful. I express gratitude for all of my clients. I really attract the nicest people and, and people who are ready to change the way they think about their money, to imagine, and they teach me things too. Let me give you that because um, they are, um, I've met some amazing people, just amazing people. And, um, and in using this recipe, I was ready for the next economy, a collapse, which is happening in my business right now. Bankruptcy's at an all time low. Nobody's filing bankruptcy because this time the mortgage company said, oh, COVID, well, just call us up and we'll give you a relief on your mortgage. Even if you're working, even if you're still making money, um, and people got all the COVID money that they got um, and they stopped paying their mortgages and started paying their credit cards and paid their credit cards off. And the mortgage companies, unlike in 2008 and nine, the mortgage companies are actually working with people in redrafting their mortgages. And my bankruptcy business that used to be 60, 70% of the whole firm is now about 20%. Wow. But my estate planning and probate businesses have expanded just by magic. Uh, not by magic. It's not magic. Not it's hard. It's work. It's Well, in my mind, it's by the law of attraction because I really did not change my advertising. I didn't change my website. I just thought about how I could serve people better than anybody else. And the business came. And when people said they were so happy with the way I served them, I said, tell Google, will you do me a Google review? And people call me up and say, I've read all your Google reviews. You're already hired. What do I have to do? Yeah, I need your help. And, um, and I've been extremely grateful for um, the people that I've met that, that I've helped who helped me. I think what's happening too is as we're getting older and looking to maybe retire, that's the R word in our family, it's never going to happen uh, because I, I think my husband would be like a bird in a cage if, if one week of COVID and he was ready to escape. Um, but we're looking at where are we going to be financially 
-hmm. because our parents are living to their 90s. My dad never expected to live past 50 and he's 92, going to be 93. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, you know, I'm here to help. He's he and mom are right nearby. Uh, Many parents at that age don't have anybody that's helping them. And they're thinking, where, where do I go? You know, where do, where am I going to live? What happens if I get sick? Do I need assisted living and all these things? And our age group, same thing had happened to us. So yeah. I don't want my kids taking care of me. So we're looking to plan the next third of our lives. I expect to live to 90 something, hundred, yeah. but the yeah. money has to last. So that's where you're coming in now. Right? So we well, yes, I help people plan their futures with estate planning, um, save as much of the generational wealth as possible when we do the probate and try to maximize what they can inherit. And a lot of that maximization is um, helping people not um, pay their parents' debts. If it's possible to declare things as exempt from claims of creditors, I do it. I'm real mindful of that because I know their parents wanted to leave them money, not debt. Um, and, and where possible, you know, I maximize that. So, but I'm also having people in their fifties and sixties coming into my office with a lot of debt and saying, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're having to use our retirement to pay for it. Stop, stop. Don't use that. You need your retirement because you're going to live for another 20 or 30 years. Let's get rid, while you're still working, get rid of the past, file bankruptcy on the past, save your exempt assets so that you can start investing in putting, maxing out your retirements, not using your 401k or your IRA to pay off past debt. You need that for your future and the government, the laws want you to have that for your future. I'm just at a stupor of thought because all these things are going through my mind. I I know exactly why people are wanting to do that. You know, they feel responsible for those debt and they want to take care of them. And that's, I honor them and I appreciate them for their honest hearts, but I'm, I'm seeing them 30 years from now. I get a lot of really old people in my office, some victims of scams that we have to file bankruptcies for. Um, But that used all their money, all their retirement to pay their debt. And now they've got nothing and they've still got debt. And somebody's trying to take away their house or things, you know, that is tragic. Yeah. I want to stop that from happening to as many people as I can. So bankruptcy in your, in your world, and it should be in our world. It's just a tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. It may not be for everybody, but it may be for you or the listener because, and I, I find this very um, attracting to you, attractive, attractive about you, Catherine, is that you are living, you lived what you preach, you know, you know what it's like to feel bankruptcy. You know what it's like to feel that shame of walking in to that. And it's not shame. And that's, see, we all it shame. shame. It was shame. I know, but why? Why do we shame? They were my them? colleagues that I, that were there at my meeting of creditors asking questions. Yeah. They were people who referred me cases who were there. I mean, that was, it was truly horrible. And you know, my judge, my former judge still refers me cases. He says, whenever someone 
he does he's he's retired into a large firm now and he does big bankruptcy chapter 11 when people come up to him in rotary or in church and they say i don't know what to do or where to go he says call catherine and i consider that the highest compliment but he was on the bench when i filed that bankruptcy and but he saw that you were I will say it's humble enough to understand that you needed help. And he's also seen you rise out of it and make something good. It's taking your pain and making it your purpose. And now your passion. You know something about that, don't you? I do. And that's why I attract so many wonderful people because we've all been through something and it is humiliating. It is, you know, that victim shame, that victim blame. And it's not, you could have hit under a rock. You could have stayed there. I thought about it, as everybody does. I thought about it. But um, what got you to rise up again then? Aunt Bert? Well, it may have been the spirit of Aunt Bert. <laughs> Over here on the shoulder saying, get your butt up. <laughs> um, I wrote a book. There you go. What's it called? Rise Like the Phoenix, The 12 Steps of Bankruptcy. And I put the process of bankruptcy to the tune of the 12 steps of AA, of the recovery movement. Um, I had taken a course in the 12 steps at church about, I don't know, 30 years ago now. And I realized then that it fit bankruptcy like a glove. I should write a book. Took me 20 years to write it. But um, it's it's less than 100 pages. It's available on Amazon. Um, and um, it, it treats bankruptcy as a spiritual growth opportunity. And it is a spiritual growth opportunity. Everything in life is. Yes, it is. And the other um, lesson is we're not supposed to do it alone. So how can people, how can people get a hold of you? Even if they're not in the state of Florida, they can call you and then you have referral networks. I do. I do. I always recommend that you, if you're hiring a bankruptcy lawyer, that you hire someone who bothered to join the National Association of Consumer Bankruptcy Attorneys, NACBA, N-A-C-B-A. Um, go to their website, look up someone who, who is that. Also, the um, American Bankruptcy Institute has created a certification program and people can, can become board certified in bankruptcy, like I did. Um, there are only two consumer board certified consumer bankruptcies in Tallahassee where I am. Um, and it was worth doing. The Boy, it's a day-long exam, and it's really hard. And I don't ever want to take that exam again. So I keep my membership up, um, keep my certification up with tons of CLEs. And, um, uh, but a, a board certified attorney, or someone who's bothered to join NACPA, they care about bankruptcy and they care about debtors. They're passionate about helping people. Um, it's really fun to go to their, their annual meetings um, because to be in a room of people who are totally dedicated to debtors and bankruptcy is really, they're passionate. It's really fun. Um, I'm in Tallahassee. Uh, my telephone number is 850-425-4700. Our website is www.hathawaylaw.net. And we have information um, about bankruptcy on our website. 
Um, you can get in touch with us that way. And um, I still love what I do. And my staff does too. You've just never had staff that have a client's back like my clients, my staff does. I'm so blessed. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you're out there, Catherine. And I wish I had taken uh, the opportunity to give you a call a little bit sooner in my life. Uh, I'm doing well now, but I do work with a lot of women that um, have been in this situation and are scared. They're just scared because they don't know what the first step is. And that is. <clears throat> and knowing what I know about you um, at the time that your husband died, I would not have recommended a bankruptcy for you. But I have, you know, I have other ideas. Well, I was fortunate enough a few years later after the scam to uh, find a wonderful man, get remarried. And uh, and he has definitely been a supporter for me and a, a huge uh, advocate in everything that, that I'm doing. Um, but I still have my, not worries about us financially. We're going to be fine because I'm preparing in a better way now. And mm -hmm. I'm putting myself around knowledgeable knowledgeable people like my friend, Deborah Morrison and uh -huh. you and others that we can systematically rise and prepare ourselves as best we can for the future. And that's what, that's what our goal is, is to be there, to be of assistance, to be that, hold that hand of the person that's beside us. That is at wit's end saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? And I can't tell anybody I'm that woman behind the smile. I can't tell anybody because I'm so ashamed of where I put myself and we got to get past that. Yes, we do. Uh, you'll find that um, where they say seven out of 10 children in grade schools, parents have filed a bankruptcy. Whoa, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's one of the statistics. Elizabeth Warren brought out a lot of statistics about bankruptcy and about why um, in her books about consumer debt and um, she was the, I guess she was the chair of the bankruptcy department at Harvard Law before she became the dean of Harvard Law. Okay. And she has a real passion, as you can see by what she's done in the Senate. Yeah. For for debtors and consumers and. Well, everybody could be in that situation, particularly today. Oh it, yeah. You know, you pull the credit card out, and I I remember one time when my children were little, and they and one of them. <laughs> said, I, I was very careful because we, we didn't have a lot of money when the kids were little. And I shopped at the Dents and Bent store and the kids would say, mom, just go to the bank. You had your red card. <laughs> thinking The ATM machine was my friend. And I'm thinking, kids, you have to have money in the bank to use that ATM machine. Mm -hmm. But you not, don't necessarily have to have money in the bank to use that credit card. So be careful. Be yeah. careful because they're like, well, we'll just put it on the credit card. Somebody has to pay for it. And bankruptcy is not a get out of jail free card for frequent flyers. Oh, no, definitely not. It's a last resort. And you don't ever want to. There are laws against uh, charging up your cards and then filing a bankruptcy, doing it on purpose. Really? Oh, yeah. OK, well, it's there's always been it's always been fraud. Right. Right. And, and that's the key word in our, in our business here is financial fraud and protecting yourself from it. Don't be a part of it by trying to game the system. But Catherine, our hour has flown by. I knew it would. And you've got such great information. And I want people to really understand that bankruptcy is a tool 
-hmm. It's one of those things that we need to learn about in case it might be the best tool in the toolbox. It may not be, but at least let's be aware. So my, my whole platform of beware and be aware, be aware of this, be aware of what you're doing and serving others in such a special way, relieving that anxiety and tension that I know I would have had walking into your office or giving you a call. Uh, it's just a conversation. Yes. It to is. call our friend Trish Carr. <laughs> exactly. It's just a conversation and it's one that's really important. And, uh, and I honor you for that and for rising like a phoenix. Thank you so much thank for you. being my guest. And thank you so much for what you're doing, Debbie. It's so important that you are raising awareness of the issues that you do and educating us all. Thank you. Thank you for your dedication and passion. Well, my pleasure. And, and again, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being my guest and for doing what you're doing in Florida and around the world. Have a great day, my Thank friend. You, you too. Bye-bye. Hi, dear. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, Check out our Benfoteaming products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.